Hello and welcome to our podcast named Detours. This podcast embraces the unexpected twists and turns that shapes the journeys of our lives that God sends us down. I'm your host and fellow traveler, Mike. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb, and we invite you to join us on this exploration of uncharted territories we encounter along the way. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode. and welcome back to Detours. This is episode number three of our second season. Thank you for joining us. As you heard in our intro, I'm here with my beautiful wife, Deb. Hi, everyone. And my father, Steve, is a guest for season number two. Dad, how are you? Welcome to all you folks listening. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for coming back to episode number three. We are dealing with a difficult subject Season number one, you got a lot of insight into Deborah's life and how she handled one of her detours. And this year, you're getting a glimpse into my life and especially my father's life as we navigate through just multiple detours within this giant detour that is losing a child. Uh, Last time, we kind of wrapped up with Stuart passing away. Uh, the tragedy of it all is he survives the surgery. The surgery is a success. Uh, everything is deemed that he's going to be going home, and he just coughs a tiny piece of phlegm into his breathing tube, and his body was so weak that he just suffocated right there uh, on the spot almost instantly. So now you're heading home from the hospital. What is the drive like? What is, or, or even before that, is, is there anything that happens at the hospital that's noteworthy? Or are you just so drained of energy that other than the fact that your son is now gone, nothing else really matters? I just want to go home. Yeah, once Pastor Schmidgall had come and, um, you know, we had prayed and spent some time together, it was time to go home. It was oh, I don't know, three or four o'clock in the morning when we got home. And the first thing I said to Sandra is, we need to pray. So we went to our living room, got down on our knees and prayed. And I said, God, you have got to take this anchor off of us because we still have another son we need to raise. And we can't live our lives grieving and feeling sad because it could have an an adverse effect on Michael, and he deserves better than that. And so we prayed, we went up to bed, and I can honestly tell you that I was in a bed and I felt like I was in a room all by myself. It was the loneliest feeling I've ever had. I, I, I just felt so isolated, despite the fact Sandra was right there next to me it was a, a feeling of total isolation. And I think that's an emotion. That's, that's a feeling that many Christians have. You, you can, you're not immune to feeling isolated and alone as a Christian. We're just as vulnerable as everyone else. So don't, don't feel like you're any less of a Christian when something like that happens. So I'm sure that the prayers continue, though. Oh, for sure. But... You know, we fall asleep for maybe an hour, 
and we had set the alarm clock for six o'clock because we wanted to get up. And we had talked on the drive home. What do we tell Michael? You know, mm. he's going to be, you know, he, this is his best friend. It's gone. And, and we had talked to him along the way, kind of preparing things to say, you know, Michael, Stuart's really sick. But Did he have a lot of questions? No, you know, he was a four-year-old kid. He didn't, I don't know that he knew well, what to ask. Some four-year-olds have a ton of questions. Yeah, I don't recall he had a bunch. But what I do remember is we were both sitting on the couch, and Michael came down the steps full speed ahead saying, is today the, Stuart, the day Stuart comes home from the hospital? Aww. And all of a sudden, it's like, I didn't even have a chance to wind up <laughs> to, to throw the pitch. You know, it was like, holy cow, it's coming right at me. And I said, Michael, you need to come over here and sit down a minute. I said, uh, did you lead this talk or did Sandra? I did. I did. And I said, the angels came last night. And they took Stuart to heaven. And I said, he's in heaven now, and he won't be coming back home again. But I don't want you to feel bad because heaven's a really cool place. I said, think of heaven as Disney World with Jesus. And all the fun that you have when you go to Disney World, Stuart's having in heaven. And I don't recall Michael ever crying. He's like, well, that's kind of cool. And at the time, it seemed like it went really well. And I said to him, because he was in preschool at our church's preschool, and I said, do you want to go to school today? Yeah, I want to go to school. So we took him to school. Okay. Now we told the teachers, and the you know the teachers did stuff with him at school and stuff, because we had things we had to do that day, like get ready for the funeral service and make arrangements for all that kind of good stuff. But you know, surprisingly, it went really well. I mean, he was like, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Did he have a point later where he broke down that the reality that he really wasn't coming back? Mm, if he did, I don't remember it. You know, I, I, it was not one of those moments where, you, you know, etched in my mind. Um, what's more etched into my mind is many, many years later when he was bothered by it and he was living here in Florida and I was in Illinois. We were talking on the phone and he, he, he said, you know, I know I had a brother, but I don't feel like I ever really had him. I don't remember him. I don't remember anything about him. Um how did that make you feel? Guilty at times. Yeah. To have a brother that was my best friend mm-hmm. and, and to have no memory of him. And, you know, one, one of the episodes that we're going to do later on is talking about how you take something so negative and take all of that energy that you would have spent on that child and how do you turn it into something positive? How do you make something positive positive? come from this um and and one of the things that you know my family did was found the ronald mcdonald house at loyola you know years later and that was that's where it became odd to me because i had i had radio stations i had newspapers i had all sorts of people interviewing me about my brother but i had no memory of him and so i was Mm kind of like telling stories that I had heard other people talk about, but I was talking about a ghost. 
is a very strange sensation. You know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the, the the private conversations between God and I many years later is, why, why couldn't I have had one memory of him, whether he was just smiling? I, I have nothing but a name, and I have some dates, and I have some stories, but nothing real and nothing tangible from me. So it's not like an overwhelming sense of guilt or anything like that, but it, it's definitely a... Is guilt the right word? Like you, guilt Yeah, there's is, guilt in that. Like you're doing something wrong for not remembering him? No, but I'm sitting there telling stories to a newspaper that's interviewing me about my involvement in the Ronald McDonald House, and it's because of him, but I have no memory of him. And you say those stories over and over and over again so many times that there is a part of you that just goes... Am I just going through motions because I care about sick kids and I'm tying it to Stuart, but I have no memory of him. So it's, it's an odd sensation. There is, it's not like heavy guilt and, and I can snap myself out of it pretty easily because I, I didn't do anything wrong or, you right. know, this, you know, everything is done with the right heart and so on and so forth. But it's definitely a strange sensation. Did to you state. feel like a fraud or something? I, I, I don't know. Um, it, it's, it's like I lived vicariously through the stories that I heard about him, but he is my brother. You know, everyone else in the family, my sister obviously comes into the picture later, so she would never have anything. But Aunt, Aunt Lisa and Uncle Roger, uh, they have memories of him. Greg, my best buddy Greg, his parents, Bob and Dawn, very vivid memory. I ask all sorts of people in my life, and they all have very vivid, oh, I remember when this happened. When For Roger, it was, he said he lost it when he was carrying the, the casket. He was one of the people carrying the casket. He was the only person. And he said that's, you know, when I was talking to him about it, he's like, that's when the reality of carrying a casket with your, your sister's child inside he said that's when i i completely lost everything so all sorts of people in my life that i i talk to they all have these vivid vivid memories and a lot of the questions that i'm asking to you they're organic because i i don't know maybe we've talked about them before but i mean this is something i'm 42 years old this happened 38 30 yeah, 38 and a half years ago i i don't remember i remember some things talking about some things, but a lot of it I don't. But, um, you know, so let, let's let's kind of unpack the days between Stuart passing away and the funeral. How, how many days was that, roughly? I think two, if I remember right. So quickly, we took you to school, and the first thing we said to ourselves is, what are we going to bury him in? Oh, man. And so we... Went to Marshall Fields, and we said, you know, this can't be a little jumper suit with a baseball on the front. It's got to be something that really is meaningful. So, you know. Gosh, you don't think like that when you haven't had that experience. Like, just uh, the thought of having to dress your baby. Yeah. And w right or wrong, I'm, I'm not sure I would do it all over again uh, the same way if I did it before, but we did an open casket. 
And so, you know, it was really important to us that we get just the right outfit because, you know, he's, people are going to see him. And some of the people that came to the funeral had never seen Stuart before. So we, we go to Marshall Fields and, and, you know. Is that a department store? Yeah. Okay. It's out of business now. But <laughs> I've like never heard of it. Yeah, it's out of business now. But, um, you know, we picked probably the most expensive little kid outfit we could find. You know, I mean, I don't know if price was the issue, but it was, it was really fancy and cool and all that kind of good stuff. Little suit? Yeah. Well, oh. Not like a tie type suit. It was a, it was a clearly for a baby, but you know, we, we picked a really cool outfit for him and, and we went to the funeral home and made all the arrangements and, you know, we didn't have much choice on caskets. The, the baby caskets are all white for the most part, at least they were in those days. And they came in various sizes and, you know, you knew what size it was based on how long he was. And that was sort of the end of it. You know, we made arrangements at this funeral home and, um, are you in a state of shock at this point? Oh yeah. You're oh, kind yeah. of in the numb, you, I have to survive you, this. You're running on adrenaline only at that yeah, point. I you're have not, to survive this. You're, you're, you're not thinking about anything more than just, I got to get through this. You yeah. Know? And from the time you pick out the, the, the clothing and you take it to the funeral home, the first thing you start thinking about is what's he going to look like when I see him? Mm-hmm. You know, is this going to be the Stuart that I remember, you know, and, and this is going to be my last view, you know, what's it going to be like when I walk in that room and see him in that casket? And, and you know, that, that I, I'm sure that's the same feeling that every person that loses a loved one has if they have an open casket is what am I going to see when I get there? Right. And the one thing I that I still remember is he had a, rubber hose that they had put up his nose that sort of disfigured his nostril mm-hmm. and it was permanently kind of out of shape because that hose had been in there so when I saw him in the casket his nostril was still like it was when they had the hose in it that always bothered me a little bit but it is what it is and so um we had visitation we decided to make it really quick, so we we did it one evening. Just you and Sandra? San, no, all it was open to all of our friends. Oh, and I thought there was family a pre, at the church. Like a week. Oh well, no, we had. They tell you to come like a half hour before, and um, you know that way if they want to, if you want something changed or you know whatever, but you kind of have your own private time, and then they give you private time at the end when everyone leaves, but. So we we got ourselves all put together, and, you know, we made arrangements to have someone take care of Michael because we just didn't think it was fair to him to try to have to explain why his brother that was in heaven is now laying in a box. And, sure. You know, so he, he, uh, he stayed with our friends Bob and Dawn, and one of them took care of him for the wake, and the other one took care of him in the morning for the funeral service. And um, so you you get ready for this thing, and then all of a sudden, and then there are just lines and lines of people. Our, our church is a very large church. Thou, I can't even tell you in those days, but it was thousands of people, and we knew a lot of people there. We were very active in the church, and so a lot of people came to the funeral. But I remember a couple things. I always had said there's a a fellow by the name of Dan Bredesen that sings in our choir, and he used to sing a lot of solos. And I always had said, 
If I die, I want Dan Bredesen to sing at my funeral because if he sings How Great Thou Art, he'll bring me right back to life. <laughs> His voice is just amazing. So we asked Dan if he would sing in the funeral, and he did. And so that was that was about the only thing that we did, you know, except Pastor Schmidgall preached. And it was maybe a 45-minute sermon, something like that, or 45-minute service. Lots of people there. And, you know, the family always sits down front, right, in the very front row, and they wait till everybody's in. And we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, in walks his cardiologist, his pediatrician, and several of the nurses. And the urologist guy that you liked? He, he was not there. But I said, Dr. Griffin, you guys aren't supposed to be personally involved in your patients. What are you doing here? He said, Stuart was just too disarming. We, he touched us all, and we have to be here. So I'm like, that was the first thing. It just blew me away, right? I, I wasn't expecting that. And then there were some other people that showed up that I just didn't expect. You know, you expect your, your parents to be there, and you expect your cousins and aunts and uncles and your best friends and the friends from the church. But there, there, was, a, there was a guy and his son, they were older, that I was doing some business with, and I had really only met him maybe two or three weeks before this all started. And in they walk. And I remember asking him afterwards, I said, Hal, why are you here? Why did you and your dad come? And he goes, Steve, this is your son. How could we not be here for that? Tender. And it, it, it shows you, like I said, I can't tell you all of my family relatives that were there. Couldn't tell you who was there and who wasn't there because you, you just you sort of expect them. But I could tell you of a couple people that were there that I didn't expect because that was, they were so significant to me that it was like I didn't expect that. And so, you know, that was pretty cool. But, you know, then from there we dive into the funeral, which I know Michael has listened to. We have an audio tape of the funeral service. And... Um, Michael said, I got to have that tape. And maybe you give your immediate reaction, and I can probably provide more of the detail. Yeah, I mean, the theme of the sermon and the theme of the whole service was peace. It was actually Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. And that's all you can say. You know, what? what is there to say at that point? Um, you know, it, it's one of those things next to your salvation. I, I've said this in my personal life many times. Deb, Deb's heard it. But, you know, salvation comes through faith. And that's the greatest gift that God will ever give you is your salvation. But the second greatest gift that he'll give you or that you can take is having peace with him because when you have peace with Christ it rules over the questions and when you're sitting there doing all these mental gymnastics when a child dies or something similar and you're doing all those mental gymnastics trying to ask the questions like why what could I have done 
so on and so forth. When, when you have the peace of Christ, it rules over all those questions. And that's, that's where so much of my perspective over the years has changed. The more I've gotten to know God, and, and I, I just have a, a very small glimpse as to how he works, I now know that he's good, and I'm now at a level of peace with him and his decisions that when you're going through it, when, when Stuart is taken, you have tons of questions. And, and a lot of those you'll have no answer to on this side of heaven. But his doctors and nurses did show up, and they got the gospel. You know, and, and, and God brought Bill Aylesworth into a church for the first time in decades because of Stuart. And he has perspective, Dad. I've, I've heard you talk about how God is playing chess on multiple levels, on, on so many different levels, and moving the piece that was Stuart and doing what he did, moving that piece wasn't just moving a piece on your chessboard. And it wasn't just moving a piece on mom's chessboard. It was moving a single piece on many, many people's chessboards. Yep. And that's what we don't, we'll, we'll never see. But the more you understand God and his character, the more peace you'll have with those difficult things. And there, there's actually a passage in Isaiah 57. It's verses 1 and 2. And actually, Deb, our mentor, Bill, Pastor Bill, uh, the guy that married us, uh, did a study, and, and he read this passage. So this is the NIV translation of Isaiah 57, 1 and 2. It says, The righteous perish, and no one takes it to heart. The devout are taken away, and no one understands that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. Those who walk uprightly will enter into peace. They find rest as they lie in death. And, and the part that really speaks volume, volumes to God, but we, we question it because we're on this side of heaven, is when a child is taken away. But it's incredible in Isaiah. It, it says the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. And I, I, I just think about you hang your hat on the fact that Stuart, yes, Stuart is in heaven. And he didn't have to experience all the heartache, all the the trials and tribulations that I, Deb, that you, Dad, that you, he didn't have to experience any of that. And yet he's sitting there in God's glory right now. And those are, I don't remember if it was episode one or two, where you said when somebody loses a child and they're not a Christian, what's the hope? When you are a Christian, that's the hope that Stuart was spared from all of that. And he's running around in a place that's, that's so much greater than I could have ever experienced with him on this side. That that's the hope that you have. That, yeah, I, I didn't have memories of him on this side of heaven, but I will up there. You better believe he's getting a noogie. <laughs> you, you, you better believe that we're going to go, boys will be boys. If he thinks for one minute that we're not going to wrestle and we're not going to this, that, and he, yeah, we absolutely are. We're going to go fishing? Yeah. Oh, I'll, <laughs> I'll show him how to put a worm on a hook and everything. Yeah, you I know? love it. 
but you know that there are those certain scriptures that you just that and that I'm looking at that scripture through the lens of a child that goes for anyone mm-hmm. a spouse God sometimes takes them so that they don't have to go through and experience evil and that's it that's a perspective because if 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 we're given a choice and it's a yes or no we sit and ponder what could happen if i say yes and we ponder what could happen if i say no and we'll often translate that over to god but god is also a god of the middle and what that means is every potential outcome he already knows what those choices are, what those outcomes would be, even though it doesn't even look like a potential possibility to us. He already knows what that is. And when you add in that layer of complexity into who God is, him taking Stuart the way that he did was absolutely merciful, completely merciful. I often think about that with David's son who passes. You know, here's this kid that is going to be raised in a family where he could very well be mistreated because of the situation with David and Bathsheba, um, you know, and how he's a child of adultery and so on. Like, what is God sparing that child and how merciful it is that he took that child so that he you know, he sees the middle. He sees the beginning from the end and every other possible choice, like you just said. And it was out of his mercy he took David's son. But there's another part to that same scripture that I think is equally or even more significant. In fact, I I, I have it here in my Bible because it says, you know, David had, had, it's, it's basically 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it talks about, David's son is ill, and David basically lays on the ground and prays and weeps for his son. And then he notices his servants are acting kind of weird, and he says, did my son die? And they said, yes, he did. And with that, after seven days of suffering, he gets up, and he goes, and he washes himself. He goes to the house of God and prays, comes home, and eats. Mm -hmm. And everything's looking great, and his servants don't understand it. And they, they... you know, they, they begin to question him. And it says, this is the NIV as well. It says, his attendants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. And he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. Though, And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And I think the real lesson behind that is that we as Christians, when we lose someone, you have to say to yourself, I can't get angry with God. I can't, you know, I can't miss the chance to go see this loved one ever again. And so I've got to spend the rest of my time here on earth preparing myself, making sure that I'm ready to get to heaven so that I see that again. And, you know, I want to see Stuart again someday. I got to make sure I conduct myself in a way. And that doesn't allow for us to get angry with God. 
It, and it, it, it's, there's so much power in that statement that David says. While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? The next statement, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. It's filled with so much hope. The hope that David's going to see his son again. It's filled with power. And it's filled with so much peace. You and I kind of laughed. I think it was yesterday or the day before. We love listening to Pastor Joe Foch for the audience. If you want to know anything about the Bible, my goodness, download the Calvary Chapel Philadelphia mobile app. And and he has commentary on the entire Bible. And we were listening to Pastor Joe in in his sermon on, on 2 Samuel 12. And he mentions in there, David's reaction is the opposite of what you would expect. He's fasting while the child is sick. And now you and mom did that too, or you did. I did, yeah. You did. Yep. And so you fasted for like 10 or 11 days. Yep. (laughs) I've heard you tell this story of the most amazing cinnamon roll you've ever eaten in your entire life was the breaking of the fast. It was. It wasn't the cinnamon roll. <laughs> the, the lady that... The tray of cinnamon rolls. It was, a, it was an entire tray of cinnamon rolls. Absolutely it was. Um, but yes, you know, I mean, you're right. It, it, instead of him being angry with God, he went the opposite direction. He, he went and worshipped. Yes. When everyone else was mourning, he mourned during... The sickness during the week, he was mourning. He was fasting and praying, and then when the child passed, he went and celebrated, worshipped how good his God was. So it, it, it's interesting that Pastor Joe talked about that, and, and you and I discussed it afterward. And we went, "Wow, we never realized that." That's so counterculture. That that's so what you would not expect. But as Christians, when you understand and when you embrace the peace of Christ, it does flip things on its head. And that's when you're in the valley that people go, wait, wait a minute, why are you going into the house and worshiping? It makes no sense. Why are you now showering? Why are you, you should be grieving. But David's speaking with so much hope. Yeah. And, and Christianity is counterculture. It's almost the exact opposite of how the world does life. So it does seem odd. And I think those are the moments that people really take notice. Like, it's perplexing that you would worship God after losing your kid. But he knows where his son is. And that glory that awaits the reunion they'll have, that's a totally different perspective than, I'm never going to see this kid again. Why would God do this to me? It's a, it's a very different perspective to have. And it's so counterculture that those are the moments that people take notice and go, what do you have that I don't have? Like, I don't get it. I want, I want to know the God you know. And when you see a Christian do life like that, and that was my, you know, part of my story was I saw someone do life so different than any Christian I had ever seen. And she had a piece about her. And it doesn't mean that you don't go through the valleys. Just because no. you're, you're celebrating... And maybe celebrating is the wrong word, but you're worshiping. You sit there and say, God, I, I, I believe you're good. Even though you took my child, even though, insert anything, 
even though you did this, I know you're good. And I can celebrate on that because you wouldn't have done this if it wasn't absolutely perfect. And that can be very, very difficult to say in the moment. To sit there and say that taking Stuart at nine months old, completely innocent, was perfect. That, that doesn't make sense even now necessarily on some levels. But there are those levels where you just go, again, God, I know your character. And I know you're seeing a lot of those ripple effects of Stuart even 40 years later. And so because of that, I have you and I are we're at peace. I'm okay with you making that to asking me to go down that path. You know, I've spent a lot of my life since Stuart passed away just trying to help people with sick kids and I've attended a bunch of funerals and I had an employee that lost a, a son in college and I was asking God, what what do I say to this person? And he gave me an illustration of something that I thought was really pretty cool. He said, Steve, I want you to think of the prettiest, biggest white sand beach you've ever seen. And so I thought about the seven mile beach in Grand Cayman Island. It's just beautiful. He said, now I want you to think about this. He said, I want you to take one grain of sand and put it in a bucket. I said, okay. He said, how much did the beach change when you removed that one grain of sand? I said, not much at all. He said, here's what I want you to realize. All the rest of the sand on that beach is representative of years in eternity. Mm. That one single grain of sand in the grand scheme of things is life compared to eternity in heaven. Amen. You, you aren't, you, 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 you know, it's not going to matter when everything is finished. If you're in heaven with Stuart, you'll, you'll be there for eternity. And, and all of a sudden, you know, people always say to me, boy, Steve, I bet when you get to heaven, the first thing you're going to do is, is going to run up to Jesus and say, why did you take my son? I said, oh no, quite the contrary. I said, I don't think of that at all. I said, I think the first thing I'm going to do when I get to heaven is, first of all, if I see him first, I'm giving him a huge hug, and then I'm going to start worshiping Jesus. And I said, you know, I'm reminded of the song, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in this wonderful face, for the things of earth shall grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth, like death, don't matter anymore. And I have no reason to go run to him and say, what did you take my son for? It doesn't matter. He made sure my son's in heaven. Mm. And, you know, clearly, this was part of Pastor Joe's commentary on on the death of David's son, is he said, I have every reason to believe, and he said, there's scriptures to support this, that children are all in heaven. They automatically, they get a, a hall pass to go to heaven because they're not old enough to know how to sin. So he said, you know, you don't have to worry whether your child's in heaven. He's there. I'm like, wow, that I never thought of it that way, but he's right. And I just think that, you know, it's easy when you're sitting here on earth saying, yeah, boy, I can't wait to ask God this. Like, you think you're going to stump him? Yeah. Remember what happened when they <laughs> tried to stump Jesus in the temple and stuff? And he just, you know, he's like, get out of here. I, you know, I don't Where need were this. you yeah. when? Yeah. 
that, that doesn't matter anymore. You know, our goal has to be what David said. I can't, my son can no longer come to me, so I have to go and see and prepare myself to see my son. And if you live with that in mind, whether it's your mother or your sister, or your brother, or your husband, your wife, whatever, the goal is to see him again and spend that eternity with him. Yeah, and, and, and that's, again, that's that's the hope that we have in Christ is that, yeah, I just because I don't have a memory of Stuart now doesn't mean I won't. Right. You better believe we're going to have all sorts of memories. And, you know, and as much as we sit here and, and, and say all of these things, the number one reason, if your answer, if your number one reason, if, if somebody asks you, why do you want to be in heaven? If your answer is anything other than Jesus, then that thing has become an idol in your life. Jesus, to meet your creator, has to be the very first thing. Head and shoulders above everything else. Do I want to see Stuart? Absolutely. Do I want to see my creator? hundred percent and I will I, I cannot wait to see him I cannot wait to see my creator seeing Stuart's just a blessing on top of that but that's how complete we will lack absolutely nothing on this side we have questions because we lack we have questions about Stuart and how could you and so on and so forth because we are lacking answers because we have a hole in our heart the size of Stuart. That will not exist when we get to heaven. And so I'm on the same side as you, where I'm not going to ask Jesus, hey, why, why couldn't you have left me with a memory of it? Not going to matter. Hmm. I'm going to be standing there right in front of him, and I will be complete and in the presence of perfection. And I know somewhere around there will be Stuart, and I'll get to him but not before I worship and not before I take in my creator. And, and those are the things that, again, you have to hang your hat on and you have to understand just how big God is. And when he does something like taking a child, I promise you he's doing it for a reason. And the best thing you can do is seek and you will find. Wrestle with God. I think he loves tenacity. So when, when he takes a child, when he, when he takes a loved one, ask him to show you a little bit more of his face so that you understand enough of the picture that you go, you know what, I, you and I, God, we are at peace. You haven't shown me everything, but that 1% that you've shown me is absolutely perfect, and now I trust the other 99% with you. Right, and it comes back to the relationship with Jesus, just that even when you don't have all the answers and you can see his character and you have that intimacy with him, the relationship builds in sorrow. I think the closest moments I've had with the Lord have been in my deepest, darkest valleys. I feel actually more close to the Lord in those valleys than even in the mountaintops of my life. And so he will meet, he will meet us there in the valley to comfort and to be the good shepherd. Yeah, and he, he he often sends people to help you. Like you mentioned, Dad, you had a lot of people you didn't even know. Hey, why are you here? So I think that's like a kiss from from the Father. Yeah. you know, in heaven, 
Here's a little kiss. So what are what are some of the things I think a lot of people feel awkward when they're talking to someone that just lost a child or a loved one? It was maybe it was unexpected. It's an elephant in the room. And if you as a friend to that person don't address it, it gets really awkward. If you do address it, there are things to say and there are things not to say. So let's start with some of the people that you remember what they said and just how much it meant to you. Was there an underlying theme to those things? Was it self-sacrificial? We made uh, mention of that earlier. Anything along those lines? Or was it just, no, I knew these people and they just said the right thing and it Sometimes resonated. it's what they didn't say. Yeah. Sometimes it was just a hug. Yeah. That, you know, I think sometimes we, we feel like, oh, I have to say something to these people. You know, don't say, oh, I know how you must feel. Oh. If you've never lost a child, you have no clue. There is no possible way you can understand me. And so don't say that. And don't say, well, he's in a better place. Or, you know, all those kind of things mean absolutely nothing to you right now. And, and quite frankly, what I would tell you is 95% of the things that were said to me during that visitation and, and during the funeral services and stuff, I don't remember because I was zoned out. Sure. But what I do remember more than anything were some of the stupid things that were said where you just went, no, you, you don't know how I feel. Or... Can you give us some of those stupid things? Yeah, I mean, just something as simple as, like I already mentioned to you, oh, I know how much how much this must hurt. Yeah. How do you know that? I, I know you really miss him. What does that accomplish? Why not say to me, Steve, I love you. I'm praying for you. Yeah, and, I'm here for you. And I'm here for you. Why not do that? It, 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 you know, the whole thing is... People feel like they have to say something. And they don't I know go, what I, to say, I go so to, a lot of times it's awkward. I go to funerals now of people I hardly even know. They might be members of our church that I don't even know. But when I walk up to them, what happens is I'm immediately transitioned into the state of mind that I was in when I was on the other side standing next to the casket. And I immediately feel that emotion and I've walked up to people I don't even know, and I've started crying. And I hug them, and I say, I know the pain is intense, and I promise I'll pray for you. Mm. That's all I have to say. You know, the the whole idea of the funeral service is, in some ways, you're surrounding yourself with people that you, you need to feel. You need the, the sense of community, Right. But I want to go back to something Michael said in the very beginning about the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ reign in your heart. That was the opening scripture that Pastor Smidgall used at the funeral. And he told a story in there that I think really explains what peace is all about. He told the story about a very famous artist that was commissioned by an art gallery to paint a painting called Peace. And it was the day of the unveiling ceremony. The thing was covered in, you know, a canvas. And all the people in the audience are like, oh, I bet it's this luscious pasture of waves of grain, a gentle wind blowing. And another one's like, no, I think it's going to be this mountain with a stream coming down out of them. And they, they gave all these glorious paintings. They raised the canvas 
and reveal a painting, and it's a storm. And there are palm trees, and they're bent over, and the rain and everything is, is and people are they're gasping. And then a guy in the audience goes, I see it. There was a little tiny songbird up under the eaves of the house, and he's singing because he's surrounded by the thing that protects him. Jesus surround the peace is when you allow Jesus to surround you and put his arms around you, you don't feel that pain the same way. You know, the wind can still be blowing and, and the rain can come down, but you don't feel it. It's different. It is different. And you know, it those kinds of things that when we say to people, Jesus can give you peace, he can. He and he does. Can. You have to ask for it. You have to seek it. But he will give you that peace. And don't bring in preconceived notions of what peace feels like either. You're, there are moments where, again, you mentioned earlier, hindsight's twenty twenty. where I'll be removed from something for a little bit of time and just go, you know what, I, I did have peace during that. And that, that's, you know, I, I love apologetics. But I'm so bored with watching all the debates because Christians have the same response to atheists and atheists have the same responses to Christians. There's nothing new. But until you experience God's peace, it, it's so difficult to articulate to someone that doesn't believe to articulate, we're we're gonna try. We're we're in a future episode. We're we're dedicating it to what are all the instances where God was very tangible during this detour. Um, so we're gonna spend some time on that to do our best, but to try and articulate this to someone, it is very difficult, and it's gonna be different for each person. Yeah, the way that God deals with me is entirely different than the way He deals with you. You know, I'm going to tell some stories about things that God did for our family. And I don't want you to leave and say, well, God, you did it for Steve and Sandra. I expect you to do the same thing for me. You, you can't expect that. God gives you what you need at the time. It's very personal to you. Absolutely. It's got my name all over it. And it's not got your name on it. And just keep that in mind because that's really pretty substantial. It's extremely substantial. When I look back, I, I've only had God speaks through the Bible and, and, and friends, and He has all sorts of different ways to speak. But I've only felt God's like really speak to me once, and it was so intimate, and it was such a perfect moment for Him to speak to me. And he only said two sentences. He said, Michael, I love you. You will have peace. And if he had said that at any other time, it was just like so beautiful and so perfect that for anyone else to go, God, why don't you speak to me like that? Well, it's because that was perfect for me. Mm -hmm. And God is waiting to speak to everybody. He's, he's, he's probably, not that he wouldn't speak to you, but it's it's less likely that he's going to speak to you if you aren't ready to listen. Well, if you're not listening, you won't hear it. He may speak to you a thousand times, but if you're too busy talking, you know, I, I learned that a long time ago. 
I was praying and God said, would you just shut up for a minute? Let really? me get, yeah, because I was praying for a kid that I wanted to get healed of cancer. And I was praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And finally, God said, Steve, be quiet. Was just it shut quiet. up or be quiet? Well, he said be quiet. Okay. <laughs> just checking. Yeah. You know, and, and it was interesting because when I finally shut up, he said, Steve, stop praying for this person. Wait a minute. How could that possibly be? He said, stop praying. I've healed him of cancer. And he did. And the kid's alive today. And it's 10 years in the rearview mirror. He's doing well. There are times, you know, I if, if he had not told me to be quiet, I would have never heard what he had to say. And I would have missed out on something really cool because I remember calling his mother and saying, Tess, I have a question for you. When does Paul go back for his next tests to mm -hmm. see how the tumors are doing. And she goes, oh, about two weeks from now. I said, do me a favor, Tess. Be sure to call me in two weeks. Mm. So two weeks later, she calls I'm on my, on my phone or something. It goes into voicemail. And I hear this lady crying and crying and crying. And I'm thinking, this sounds more bad than good. And then she goes, the cancer's gone. They can't find it anywhere. Hallelujah. And I said, learn to be quiet. And now... Every time I pray, I pray for a while, and then I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to shut up in case you got something to say to me. And sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And but you just stop talking. There's, Are you in the Word? Are you? No, it don't, it don't have to be. A lot of times I'm just laying in bed. I, when I, I don't sleep well at night anymore, so I wake up in the middle of the night, and I start praying. That's a good way to. I've told you to do that. <laughs> There's you that I told you so in the loving way. You can't see wife. me, but I'm pointing at my husband going, I've, do that. It's good stuff. It is. And, you know, I'll be praying about something and, you know, I'll say, okay, Lord, I'm going to be quiet here and see if you got anything to say to me. And sometimes he says nothing and sometimes he says a whole lot. Mm. But I, I, I will tell you, you know, it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but, um, and I want to come back to the funeral because there's still one really significant event that's tied to the funeral. But if you recall... On the night that we came home, Sandra and I knelt and prayed, and I said, God, you have got to take this anchor off my neck. I can't live with this burden of Stuart on my neck all the time because I have another son I have to raise. And I can't tell you the date because I don't remember, but it was roughly, you know, Stuart died in December. It was probably January, February, somewhere in that time frame. And I'm in the shower one morning, and all of a sudden I realized that I did not think of Stuart one time the day before. And I started sobbing in guilt and crying and just, <laughs> I, I was just totally trashed. Hmm. And God, the only time I've ever heard God really speak in an audible voice, he said to me, Steve, why are you crying? I answered your prayer. And he dropped me in my tracks. You know, it was like, wow, he really did. He took me serious. <laughs> you know, yeah. Wait a minute. Maybe I do want to have a little bit of, you know. <laughs> Maybe I want a little bit of guilt. Is yeah. that what you yeah. almost yeah. said yeah. there? You almost said that, yes. Yeah, exactly. And, but, you know, it, it, was, it was a time when it meant so much to me because it said to me, everything's going to be all right, Steve. 
Everything's going to be fine. And once that happened, it was all good again. Yeah, the healing process is underway. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, you were talking about, you know, what happens, good things happen, or bad things happen to good people. I want to kind of finish the story of the funeral because there's something really that had on that day impacted me that said, maybe I'm beginning to learn this. We... We had the funeral service at Calvary uh, Calvary Church, or now Cal- it was Calvary Temple at the time. But we were going to bury Stewart in Missouri. Our, we lived in the Chicago area. So we had a funeral service, and then the lady of the, uh, ladies of the church prepared a dinner for everyone that came to the funeral. And there were several hundred people there. Like I said, the doctors were there. So we all go into our fellowship hall, and they're serving the meals and doing all that kind of good stuff. And Dr. Griffin, who had gotten to know Pastor Smidgall really well, goes over to Pastor Smidgall and says, Pastor, would you mind if I address the people of your church? Pastor Smidgall goes, absolutely, go right ahead. And he dings on the glass, and he said, I'd like to introduce you guys to Dr. Griffin, the Stewart's cardiologist. He'd like to have a word with you all. And Dr. Griffin was a, was a Catholic, and he stood up and he said, you know, I don't know what your parish believes in, but what I can tell you is that the behavior of this family was so obvious to all of us in the hospital that whatever you're doing, don't stop doing it. These people were incredible, and he said it was noticed by every single one. He said, we had patients that saw them when they were with Stuart in the, in like the ICU and stuff, they would say, those people are incredible. They had such incredible strength. Or the doctors would say it, or the nurses would say it. And as I started thinking about that, I was reminded of this, the, the, the parable of the shepherd that has the hundred sheep and one of them leaves the flock and he leaves the 99 to go find one, right? He's like, "There's, I got to bring this one back to the flock. And what it, this gets back to where I always use my multiple level chessboard. I don't know why Seward was brought here, but my question was, if, if he had that much impact, was there something that happened there that changed a person's life that was destined to go to hell? But because of Stuart is going to heaven, and God said, you know what? I put you down there for a reason, Stuart. I wanted to save this person over here. You've done your job well. Come to heaven. Here's your reward. I can't prove to you that that's the case. I can't tell you that that's true. But weeks after, there were two ladies in our church that didn't realize. Our church is quite large, several thousand people. And they came up to Pastor Smidgall and said, we just found out that the Snyders come to Calvary Church. And we just want you to know that they had a profound impact on so many people at the church. In fact, we were impressed by the way that they behaved. Mm. I don't know what all that means. But to have the doctor stand up and say, here's the situation these people had a positive impact on lives in this hospital of patients as well as the, the, the employees. How do I know what that really meant? Yeah, and, you know, just here on earth, 
it's it's amazing how you can have all sorts of relationships. It can be me and my best buddy Greg. It could be me and my sister Margot. It could be me and Deb, and it can be anything. But the introduction of love as an emotion into that relationship always complicates things. It always makes things more difficult. Now, imagine God being pure love. And all he does is love how complicated things must be for him. And that's where he knows everything. He knows opportunities that doors that he's opened for you that you were so blind you never even saw him. And he knows if you had seen him and you had said yes. He knows what that would have looked like. He knows if you had seen it and you would have said no. He knows what that looked like. He knows everything. And and that's where part of where now I have found tremendous peace with him is just what you were saying. He knows whether or not Stuart, if he had lived a full, happy life, if he would have gone to heaven. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? As awesome as, and as big of an impact as Stuart could have had for my kingdom, I'm choosing a very specific path. Assignment. He's got an assignment from me because I'm chasing after that one. And Stuart's never even going to meet that person. Steve and Sandra may not know that person. But through taking Stuart and placing Stuart in heaven here with me, I'm going to reach that person. And like you said, you may never even see the impact. That's right. There's so many ripples that you don't see. The vast majority of those ripples you will not see. But God does see all of them. And in the grand scheme of things, that equation makes perfect sense to God. Saying, why wouldn't I take Stuart? Look at all the other possibilities. The right, the perfect decision is to take him at nine months and 13 days. Because the ripple effect is going to manifest itself in this person way over here, and it's going to be months, years later, and the Snyder family will have had an impact in that. And without that, that person never would have started going back to church or even being open to have a conversation about church. And, and those are the things that we can only speculate on because we're not God. But it, it, you have to understand that that's what he's dealing with. He's dealing with all those chessboards. Every soul on this planet is a chessboard for him. And he's playing all of them simultaneously. And he is pure love. So how complicated is he? Hmm. Someone can't hurt you very deeply if, if you don't love them. There's a different level of hurt and a different level of pain that comes with love. That's true. And to think that God feels hurt by us just breaks my heart like you think about wow the god of the universe i've i've grieved him you know that he is someone that can i mean you see it in scripture all the time i mean the book of hosea is a great example of god's heart towards humanity and towards you know the nation of israel at that time was like hey you're my bride and you're hurting me it's just amazing to me yep 
So this this situation is just no different. It it you know it unfortunately ended in a funeral, and and you know I, I didn't get to have the the brother that that you know I, I would have wanted. But you know in future episodes, one of them that we're going to do is what were all the points in time that we knew God was there with us, and we have a tremendous but God story in my sister. I have an amazing, wonderful little sister who I love and adore and pick on whenever I get the chance. Her name is Margo, and I hope she's not too embarrassed listening to this, but she has been an absolute blessing to this family, and I wouldn't change it for the world. And that was, you know, we're going to give that testimony uh, again in a future episode, but she's perfect. She's perfect for this family, and she's absolutely evidence that, that God was with you and mom, and he was with me through the whole process. So we're going to save that story for another episode. Is there anything that you feel like we were missing? Yeah, the, the only other thing I would say is we still haven't talked about the part of the funeral where the casket goes in the grave. Mm. That in and of itself is probably the most emotional part or was the most emotional part for me. It was emotional seeing him in the casket. It was emotional when they closed the door of the casket and you knew you weren't going to see him again. But when they dropped that casket into the grave, it's final. And you can't describe it. And I know you've talked to your Uncle Roger about this because he actually carried that casket. And he shared with you the kind of emotion that he felt. It... It is, you know, it is without a question. And, you know, I've, I've seen pictures, or not pictures, I've seen videos of situations where people were being cremated and they allowed the family to push the button to start the cremation process. Whether you push a button to start the cremation process or you watch the casket go down in the grave, there's that point when you realize it's over. And it's really, really painful. Yeah, I, I remember our, our again our pastor, Pastor Bill. Uh, he he tells a story of a mother who's who's had a daughter who drowned and she did not she was not a believer, the mother. And when they were lowering her daughter in the casket into the ground, she actually jumped on top of the casket and started trying to pull her daughter out of the car. Like that moment was it is always just filled with so much emotion that that is the final. We're, we're not we're not coming back. We're not coming back. There is nothing else now. It's now it's time to go home and start the grieving and healing process. That that's that moment. Um, so yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, what, were you praying when when the casket was was being lowered were you just in the moment were you numb what what are you i was numb yeah you, you cry um that that's grief at you know i mean grief unexpressible. When, when the doctor puts up the stop sign and says don't rush it's over that hurts immensely and when that casket goes in the ground you can't pray your your mind isn't capable of prayer at that moment. Um, you know, you pray. You know, the, the 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 minister prayed is over the casket and stuff as they do at every funeral. But no, I didn't. 
pray at all. It was just like, you know, I was flooding the grave with tears because it, it just, this is it. It's over. You know, you have so much adrenaline. From the time the stop sign went up until the time the casket goes in the grave, mm. you're surrounded by family. You've got activities. You've got all these things that are going on. And you have mm-hmm. adrenaline. When it's over, you know that all those friends that surrounded you and all the things that were happening are all coming to a screeching halt. And you're now alone again and without your son. With your emotions. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I think that's even the next episode that we're doing is just all the emotions. What did you call it? The tidal wave? Oh, it is truly a tidal wave of emotions. There's, you know, I I, I try, I carry in my wallet a piece of paper that... Every time I think of a, an emotion that I had there during that time, I write it on this piece of paper. And I don't know if it's 10 or 13, but it's a bunch. And they come at you in, in, in tranches. They come at you all at once. They come at you one at a time. They circle back and get you again. I mean, it, it, it is an onslaught of activity that... That is great. Everybody, yeah, everybody has to face it. And we all have to face it. We all feel it differently. Yeah, it's all the same, but it's also different. Oh, it is. It's the exact same. Probably your list of 10 to 13 is probably almost identical to everyone out oh, there. Oh, it is. But how they manifest, how they come back, and the, the triggers, it's going to be different for everyone. That's what's so incredible. The, the only thing I say, and I think I said it in an earlier episode, I don't know how people lose a child and don't, know about heaven. If I didn't have the power of prayer to support me during that time, I don't know how I would have ever made it. And I feel terrible for the people that don't know Jesus. They don't, they, they think heaven's just kind of an automatic call pass that when you die, you go to heaven. Well, guess what? That's not necessarily true. And so you know, they, they don't think about, they don't know differently. And I'm sitting there going, I really feel bad for you. Yeah. You need Jesus right now, and you don't even know to ask for him. Yeah. And I can tell you that, and you just look at me like, yeah, right, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's so, so apparent in those moments that salvation is a gift, but you have to receive it. And you can have the greatest gift ever sitting in front of someone that's filled with so much hope. And they're just going, no thanks. Yeah, that's very true. I'd rather grieve my own way. I'd rather project my own thoughts into what just happened to my child. And it's. The, I, I've encountered many stories that we'll we'll talk about in the next episode. That I have a story about a pastor and his wife. There's a pastor, and I'm just flabbergasted that that this that this could happen with a pastor and his wife who lost a child at age seven. So yeah, there definitely emotions can get the best of us. Um, we're gonna let's let's save that there. Let's let's come back to that in the next episode. Uh, but this has been a good one. You know, we we finally started to unpack the answer that if if God is so good, how can He take my child? If He loves me, how can He take my child? Or the apologetics question of if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? And again, if you watch debates, 
you're going to get pretty much the same answer over and over and over again between atheists and Christians and so on and so forth, and they're really quite unfulfilling. Uh, if you ask me, I've seen many of them many times um, where this season we wanted to really take our time and use very real life stories to begin to give more perspective that's not about winning a debate. It's just about telling our story and take with it what you want. You can take this story, you can uh, press fast forward and get to the next episode or the next season or just completely stop listening. But um, this, this was a detour that our family took and, you know, it did fundamentally change the DNA of our family and we're still we're still on that detour in some ways. And, and um, there have been absolute blessings along the way. And I do want to make sure that we get to those uh, down the road. So stay tuned for all of that. But for now, thank you guys so much for hanging in there for episode number three. We appreciate it. We hope we've said, shed some light on, you know, a little bit of God's character. And we've used our own stories to, to do that. So we hope that that's helpful. But for now, we will uh, just say thank you, guys. Tune in to episode number four. My wife is here with me. She'll be back on episode number four. Yes, I look forward to that. And, Dad, please come back for episode number four, and we're going to keep promise. going on this. So uh, thank Have you, guys. Have a great day. Yes, thank you so much. We will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening to Detours. For more content, you can find us on Spirit FM Radio, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Play, or on our website at detours.life. To view my writings or to contact me for public speaking engagements, visit my website at debmarsalisi.com.